на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака поднебесь и плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. We've all taken a short vacation here at RFN Towers during the winter break, and I think I speak for the entire Russian football family to say that I'm pretty darn excited that the real football is finally on its way back. Today we're going to ease our way back in by discussing our team of the autumn. So to do so, I'm your host, James Nichols, and I'll be joined by David Sanson. Good Christmas, David. Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Snowy Gordon. Um, yeah, good to be back. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Two weeks to go. And of course, Wigan's own Richard Pike. And how was your holiday period, Rich? Sanovi Gordon. Yes, it was good, guys. Really enjoyed it. Um, absolutely delighted to be back. Been catching up on um, some Wigan Athletic games, um, some Premier League matches, Serie A and La Liga. And um, yeah, I've got some good people to follow now with Kokorin, um, now playing his, tried in it, play, playing his trade in Italy. And um, yeah, been catching up on those leagues, but absolutely delighted to get back to the grind of the RPL. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's good to see Kokorin finally going and making that big move to one of the European Farmers Leagues. And of course, now the RF, RPL is starting again. It's the, the real big boys are back in action. So if we get straight into the action, this is the team of the autumn. Now, firstly, I'll go through a methodology, and that's basically the same as when we picked the team of the season at the back end of the 2019-20 season, in which the players themselves have to have performed at a high level over the course of the season, or half-season in this case as a whole. And this is not necessarily the best 11 players in these positions in the league. But it's just bringing form into account and who we, we believe has performed best per position in our point of view. Now, we've gone for a 4-2-3-1 formation this time in order to get a nice balanced number of players into the team. From here in, we shall each propose a player from our own individual lists. So each position will get three nominations. And therein, we'll discuss who will make the final RFN team of the autumn. So to start between the sticks with the goalkeeper. My own nomination is Krasnodar's young starlet, Matvey Safonov. David, who do you suggest? Uh, my top pick for uh, for goalkeeper was uh, Humki's Ilya Lantratov, who's, who's had an excellent season for me. And Richard, who's your choice in goal? I had a few candidates. Um, I thought about um, I thought about Safanov as one. I echo David's thoughts. I think Lantratov has really impressed this season. He's been been linked over the winter break with some of the bigger teams in the league. Um, yeah, and I put Shunin down as well as a possible contender at Dinamo. Um, but I feel in recent weeks that um, Safanov has, has been a key part of Krasnodar's uh, resurgence. So, um, yeah, I probably would tip out the ones on my shortlist. I'll probably just about go with Safanov. Yeah, and I think Safanov is really coming coming of age this season of course he did unfortunately for him make a high profile string of errors in in that one particular Champions League game against Chelsea but it must be remembered that in the games preceding that especially against Pauk in the playoffs and then and then after that and the, the win against Wren Safanov was arguably Krasnodar's man of the match and when he first broke into the team he really had developed a little bit of a mistake here and there but it didn't seem to be anything that was too worrying at the time. And it was definitely seemingly just something that came with age and lack of experience. And of course, as a goalkeeper gets older, they mature even further. They've got the highest uh, average age of when they reach peak performance. And I think Safanov's going to be probably the long-term successor to Igor Akinfeyev's crown in, in Russia's goal. 
Now, I will have to say that I'll eat my own hat a little bit here, as I've previously went on record of saying that Maximenka and Safonov at the start of the season were on pretty much a level playing field, and I expected Maxi to be the one to step forwards and and really take the game by the scruff of the neck. But unfortunately, he's just far too mistake-prone in, in very big games as well. It seems to be whenever Spartak play in a, a, a Moscow derby or play Zenit, it's that that's when Maxi decides to make his his huge costly error in spite of also making a spate of really good saves. David, what's what's your thoughts on Safanov this season? Um, you know, you, I've always been a big fan of Safanov. As, as you said, you were always on Maxi's side and I was always leaning more towards Safanov. Um, you know, other than that one, the one game where, um, you know, he, uh, the Hudson Adoy shot, which he let slip through his hands. He, he's an excellent. He's an excellent goalkeeper. We know he is the future for that club. Um, but I just felt, obviously, I, I haven't chosen him. He was my backup choice. Um, I, I felt Lantretov, um his role towards his team was bigger than Safonov's for Krasnodar. Um, but you know, we we love Safonov. I love Safonov. Maximenko's weirdly be getting a lot of the. The press he featured in uh, what AS I think in Spain recently is like yeah. profiled as a big a big foreign talent and you know it's going to be a long competition between him and Safonov for for the national team. Um, I think rightly at the moment Safonov is, is in the lead. You know he's he's the first of the two to have received a call up to to Spornaya. So um, you know you know I love him and we've seen. Um, goalkeepers come from Eastern Europe, like, for example, uh, Andrew Lunin, uh, who moved off to Real Madrid when he was very young. So, if Safanov's got the talent, you know, goalkeepers are always a bit of a a, a high commodity in football because you know it's a valuable player to get, and you feel like at some point someone will try and take a punt on the on a talented goalkeeper like himself. Yeah, I think I mentioned earlier that some of his early mistakes in the RPL seemed to be very much down to lack of experience at the time. And and those three against Chelsea, he, for a little while, it was it was being peppered with a few shots that seemed uncharacteristic, the way that he reacted to them. And he really did look a little bit like a, a deer in headlights in that one match. Obviously playing the English side for the first time, which is, without trying to sound like I've my English bias here, but the highly most highly watched league in the world not necessarily the best but definitely the most highly watched league and it may be felt that playing in the first big game against such a big team in the biggest competition in in domestic european football or international european football that he he did suffer under the pressure slightly um david so you also to come straight back to yourself you also nominated Ilya lantratov at kimki uh, what's impressed him about what's impressed yourself about him so much this season well, I mean, last season in the in the Fenel, he was he wasn't always first choice. He was competing with another goalkeeper who I forget who it was, but it's another goalkeeper who's you know got good pedigree in Russia, and um, you know he he earned the spot in the team. He's still very young, um, you know, he's only just turned twenty five, I think. Um, but he's just got them out of so many situations. Uh, I mean, it's just another case of Russia producing another very good for their league standard goalkeeper. We, we've talked about it before uh, and I've talked about it on the other podcast with uh, Hanu and Artyom. Just like the level of Russian goalkeeping is very consistent. Like the after the top two or three goalies, 
you've got probably 10 or 11 goalies who are very good rather than having anyone who's particularly bad. And Lanteratov is coming through as another excellent, for RPL standard, goalkeeper. Um, we, you know, we've seen it before with clubs who come up and we have a goalkeeper who comes up with them and has a really good season. Dupin did it for Angie. Um, Dovnia did it for Skahabarovsk a few years back as well. Um, and this season, Lantratov has, has done it for Kimki. And, you know, Kimki are having a good season, so you wouldn't expect him to be moving on anytime soon. But it's one of those, he's one of those players, you know, anytime a youngish goalkeeper comes through, you're thinking, is that going to be who Siska eventually go for to replace Akinfeyev? Because, you know, Akinfeyev's getting to that point where next two or three years, he's probably going to start thinking about retirement, you would imagine. You know, there were rumours even last summer that he was going to retire. So every time a goalie comes through, you're thinking, is, is that going to be the guy who Siska go for in the end? Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting one. But, you know, he's had an excellent season in a team who are performing above expectations. Um and yeah, that's why that's why I picked him. I must admit, Lanchatov is is definitely high on my list. He has been overperforming in what was at the start of the season a, a dreadful Kimki side. They were far too aggressive. The defense was absolutely all over the place. And really, since he, he got Cherovchenko's appointment as manager, have have Kimki then stepped up and they signed what they needed in what was some very experienced RPL players to complement the quite promising youth in the ranks. And, and since then, they've went from strength to strength and were actually the form team in the entire league at one point before the close of the winter break. But having said that, during that entire season, Lantratov was the the man in form. Now, I know that he shipped seven against Krasnodar back in September. But when if you look at the goals back, they're either all screamers or just incredibly well-worked goals where... He's got absolutely no choice. Like the Berg one on one, there's nothing you could do about that. If he if he saves that, he's a hero. But if he doesn't, then to be quite honest, he's expected not to in that situation against an international level striker like Marcus Berg. So I definitely could could jump on and choose Lantratov in a little bit of a, a curveball, to be quite honest, because like I say, all the others have oh, like you said, David, so all the others are are so quite close together that it could literally be one of four or five people. In my list that we we all put put together beforehand, our own personal little lists, I had down four goalkeepers, and two of which, or one of which, Anton Shunian, uh, had some real torrid, torrid time in in Europe for Dynamo Moscow this season, uh, losing pretty dreadfully against what is at best being kind to the sides, um, minnows that you really should expect them to beat, but in the league he has been particularly very solid. Um, Richard, what's what's your thoughts on Lantratov? Would you could you perhaps be convinced by David to go Lantratov over Safonov? I'm still gonna stick with Safonov, but I definitely will highlight that Lantratov has made a huge impact to Himke. Um and the game that really stands out in my mind, um as as David said, and the game that really stands out in my mind is um the locomotive game right before the winter break. And I remember the first half the second that was a game of two halves. The first half locomotive were all over uh Himke and there was some brilliant goalkeeping from Lantratov kept Himke Himke in the game. And then the second half Himke just it was like they clicked another switch and it was totally different. They totally dominated Lokomotiv. And um, it was Lantratov's um, interventions that kept them in the game. And then in the second half, they just found another gear and um, completely outplayed Lokomotiv. It was um, 
absolutely um, superb from them. Um, and um, it's interesting how you know um, Siskawa were mentioned as a potential um, destination for Lantratov. Um, the two sides actually I did see him linked with in the winter window were actually Lokomotiv and Zenit, and both of those two at the minute you could argue get to the stage where they probably both do need goalkeepers because obviously Guillaume is getting to an age at Lokomotiv where he'll soon need replacing two. Zenit definitely need a goalkeeper. I mean, Lunyov probably and Lunyov and Kurtzkoff are both out of contract in the summer and that could be a nice cheap pickup for, for Zenit. So um, I could see there being a tug of war between three or four of the top Russian clubs, you know, and even Shunin himself is not the youngest, you know, um, it's only really at the minute you'd say Spartak with Maximenko and um, Krasnodar with Safonov who are pretty sorted with their goalkeepers, you know. But the other big Russian clubs, I suspect, will be fighting it out for Lantrotov's services. So it'll be fascinating to see who wins that uh, particular fight for his services um, either this summer or going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Lantrotov, of course, he has been linked with. Was it Zenit the latest, Richard? Was it? I believe it was. Uh, wasn't it? It Zenit was... and Lokomotiv, both of them. Lokomotiv as well, yeah. And both, in my opinion, could do with some fresh blood between the sticks. And it would be interesting to see how Lantratov would get on a, a, a team higher placed up the table without being disrespectful to Kimki, of course. But if you go through some of the goalkeeping statistics, um, gen- this is from SofaScore, which is one I usually use the most, is... It's for general rating, which is an algorithm based upon pure statistics alone, nothing else aside from that. Matvey Safonov has actually got the highest, and then Maximenko behind him in second. So of course the two were right up there next these two are right up there next to each other as as they usually are. But one thing that I like about Lentratov is when you go through a negative statistics as opposed to more saves, most clean sheets, most penalty saves, and so on, is you go through the errors leading to a goal, errors leading to a shot, and and so on. He's zero on every single one, while also being third on most saves and first on most shots faced. So it, that's, I mean, Safonov's only made 59 saves this season. I mean, only, it's, it's a very good number. It's more than most in the league. But Lantratov's made 75. He's made 44 saves from inside of the box alone. He's, he's, he's had five runs out and he's got the highest per, uh, percentage in terms of short passing here. Now, this is a Kimki team who do play quite direct. Now, those distribution figures are very impressive. I didn't expect him to have higher distribution figures in Safonov, to be quite honest, judging, obviously, just judging by the way this, that Krasadar play their football. But what I'm really most impressed by is his concentration levels to, to face that many shots, that many make that many saves, yet not make a single error leading to a goal at all as a goalkeeper is, is quite outstanding, to be honest, and there's no other word for it. It's, it's brilliant. Uh, Goalkeepers often get the worst job in football in the fact that you've got a striker who could score one goal but then miss eight sitters and make ten mistakes and he's a hero. A goalkeeper could make ten saves, make one error and he's the villain of the piece. That's just the life, the lonely, solitary life of of a goalkeeper. And I think, David, yourself, and I think some of these stats are maybe edging me towards Lentratov too. Um, <laughs> if... I think it's 1-0 to David already so early because you just go through and it's just name after name. It's just Lantratov, Lantratov again and again. Here we the go. only man higher is is Rezhikov, who has also made more mistakes than anybody else in the league leading to a goal. 
The only other name that I thought about and actually one that sort of ties into the Cisco situation is uh, Pomazun over at Ural because he, he moved there on loan and immediately displaced uh, Godzur, who'd been Ural's number one for, what, at least two or three seasons. And he's been pretty good over there. And it, it gives you something yeah. to look forward to for for Cisco at least, because he's mm-hmm. going to go back to Cisco at some point and you, you feel like they are going to give him a go. Um and, and I did consider him as, I didn't pick a third choice, but he might have been up there for the third choice. But that's that's a promising situation there for Cisco. You know, he, Pomazan, um, you know, he would only ever get the cup games for Cisco in the past um, and, and never really got the chance to, to, to show what he could do. But um, he's been very good there. You know, that's a, that's a good young goalie uh, again. Um, but will, it, will he deal with the pressure back at Cisco again if it happened? You know, um, just something that to, to, to tie it all in. But yeah, uh, I'm glad I'm winning the, the goalkeeper debate here. <laughs> I must admit, I would never have expected six months ago to be sitting here and say that Kimki's goalkeeper is the the great, the best goalkeeper in the autumn part of the season. But strange things do happen, of course. And if we do next move on to straight on to right back. Now, right back last season for our team of the season caused a little bit of a stir online. As many thought that we overlooked a certain Mario Fernandez and in favour of picking in the end uh, Vyacheslav Karavayev at right back in a in what was a queen a clean sweep of Zenit defenders as all four of their regular starters actually picked up the four spots in our team of the season. So David, who's your nomination for right back? Let's see. My nomination for right back was indeed Mr. Mario Fernandez. Um I'd say more because of a lack of a better choice rather than he deserved it. I mean, we know he's going to be good. He's consistently very good. I don't think there was anyone that really stood out necessarily. Um, But, you know, he's he's still an obvious pick because of just how good he is as a footballer. Richard, your your choice for right back? Again, I think it's between those two, Karavayev and um, Fernandez, but I'm in agreement with David there. I think... um, I think Fernandez gets uh, the nod for me this time. Um, he's been once again a beacon of consistency in the Cisco side, which is, you know, it's challenge. It's still up there challenging for the title, but it's had its ups and downs. Some a horrible moment in Europe, of course, but um, domestically, I think Fernandez has been very solid, and um, yeah, he gets my vote. I'm, I'm going to go for uh, Fernandez this time round. Yeah, I must admit, my my first choice was of course Mario as well. I would like to do a little bit of RFN bingo here. And of course, as long-term listeners know that uh, one of our contributors and regular on the pod, Andrew Flint, is a huge URL fan. And I will just put a little word in for Denis Kulikov, who's even at the age of 84 that he is now, he's been surprisingly <laughs> consistent for URL, having a pretty solid season. But yeah, it, it has to be Mario this season. Mario's just, like you said, I like what you said there, Richard, a beacon of consistency. When Siska calls for aid, Mario will answer. He's just the one player in that in defence in this league that you think he absolutely should and would quite easily make it at one of the top five leagues. David, what do you think? I think we need more Lord of the Rings references on the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he, I think it's too late. I think he's missed the boat for any move to Europe really now. I mean, we all know the story that he was close to going to, uh, was it Barcelona? Whatever Jose Mourinho, what, Barcelona or Real Madrid, wasn't it? I can't remember which one. Wherever Jose was. 
and it, and it fell apart for whatever reason. And then he ended up going to Cisco, and now he plays as a Russian international. So we all, we all know the story. You know, he had he had his chance, and then I'm sure there were times during his Cisco career where there was probably moments he could have done it. Um, and unfortunately, the chance where he got to really show it on the biggest stage, you know, 2018 World Cup, he was sort of already past the age where big clubs are going to be investing in a right back. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Let's just say Cisco are going to demand like 15 mil. They weren't, clubs weren't necessarily going to cough up 15 mil for what, however old he was at the time, 30, 31 year old right back. Yeah. So that was just a shame that his big, his big platform came a bit too late for him. You know, we, he's always done it in Europe, but that was the big one, um, which is a shame. But, you know, we love him. He's a great, great player. Um, I actually didn't even consider Caravaggio just just because I didn't think he'd be very good for starters for not overly good, not compared to last season where he was excellent. He's also been injured a little bit recently. Uh, and as I recall, he was the one who gave away uh, that yeah. really stupid penalty uh, against Dortmund, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, yeah, my yeah actually, I've forgotten about that. <laughs> my second choice was actually, although he's only played five or six games there, was actually Alexei Sutormin at Zenit, who obviously we all know is a, a wide, wide player or a forward. Uh, and he's been so good, like, uh, <laughs> as a as a wing-back. Like, I think he's he picked up something like two goals and four assists or something since he started playing at wing-back. It's ridiculous. Um, and as Hanu and Artyom were, were dubbing him the, the Russian Cafu um, towards the end of the season there. Uh, and I just really think he, he was just, he just shone uh, playing at wing back there um, in the run into the winter break. Uh, I think Caravaggio is back now, so it's a shame that he probably won't last. Um, but I just wanted to, to give him a little shout out. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it is one of those cases of, on pure recent form, he's probably been the best performing right back in the league since he moved there. But I just personally can't really vindicate giving it to him because, as you said, he's, he's barely played any time there whatsoever. And then mm-hmm. when you do look at the, I mean, that's Karavayev mistake. Jesus. I, I always, I don't try to be too harsh on a player when they do make a single mistake. But when it's either a repeat offender, like Kyle, for example, in in, in Europe, when it's the same silly mistake again and again just lack of concentration being far too rash or if it's pure stupidity like that one was he's he's marking the smallest man in the pitch in Torgan Hazard who's five for five <laughs> and he decides to just drag him down by grabbing him by the arms in the middle to, middle of the penalty area when his entire team have been working their arse off defending absolutely brilliantly for the best part of 80 minutes it was just rank unforgivable at the time and I know it's, like I say, it's the opposite of the Sutoman one where I can't put Sutoman in because yeah, he only yeah, performed yeah. in that position for five games. But then again, I'm not putting Karavayev in because he made that one big mistake once in a season. But it's such a massive one. You'd, it's one of those where you just can't get it out of the back of your mind. And I think lots of Zenit fans will perhaps agree that he definitely hasn't been as strong this season. And if, if you're a Zenit fan listening, get in touch with us on on Twitter at Russ Football News and, and let us know your thoughts on, on Karavai of the season. Just let us know how he's getting on. Uh, I don't think his attacking output's been as high as it was last year. It seemed like last year he was constantly getting forward and making assists and stuff like that. Um, and I just checked this season. Sutomin in, in five matches got more assists than Karavai have got in the whole of the season. 
so far. Yeah. Three oh. assists versus two. Yeah. Three assists in, in four five games. So that was was quite interesting. But it's a shame really if, if Caravive is back, which I'm pretty sure he is, that um that Sotomin's run is gonna potentially end in the team there, because it would have been nice to see it carry on. Yeah, it's it's pretty much damning on Caravaya for Sotomin's even in the conversation. Because to move what is ostensibly one of the purest attacking winners wingers in the league. I mean, when Sotolmin is playing on the wing, he doesn't track back whatsoever. That's why we're all kind of so surprised by how effective and strong he has been in defence and attack at right, at right back. So to the fact that he's even in the conversation and had to be converted as a right back to make up for the ground that Karavayev is clearly losing and clearly struggling is a, probably a bigger damning verdict upon Karavayev than anything else. But such is when you get, say, a greatest film of the year or a greatest player of the year, such as the the how far ahead they are, that you spend the entire time talking about other people and not about them because you don't necessarily need to, is why we've barely mentioned Mario Fernandez in this conversation because he's just been that solid and that effective at right back and he is our first choice right back in the team of the autumn. So to move on to central defence now, David, who's your first central defender nomination? Oh, my list closed. My first nomination was uh, Roman Yevgenyev of Dinamo Moscow. And Richard? Yeah, centre-half was an interesting one. Uh, I went for, there was a few on my short list. Um, I had the Spartak two down, Zhigo, Zhikia, Lovren and Diveyev. I'd actually forgotten about um, Yevgenyev. That's another good shout as well. It's quite a difficult position to pick, central defender, actually. Um, if I was pressed, I think you he's also pressed. chipped. I am pressed. I am pressed. He's chipped <laughs> in with a few goals this season for um, Spartak, and I've really liked him at the back for them. So I actually go, I'm going to go with Zhigo, actually. Samuel Zhigo. Yeah, all of these names mentioned are also on my nomination lists, but in the interest of getting as many players mentioned as possible, um, I'm going to go with Murillo at Lokomotiv this season. Um, Now, I will preface this by saying that I think Murillo is worthy of a solid mention here because he's been a beast at centre-back, been one of the signings of the season. But Murillo's really shone in Europe under Nikolic, and under in in the RPL, his he's he's not so he's not struggled because he, he's still been very good, but he just hasn't performed to quite as high a level as he has in in Europe. And in Europe, he's really stepping up to the plate. And I think part of that is just by the nature of Lokomotiv's game. Um, he is very much a a defender who's like any defender doesn't really like getting turned. And that happens quite a lot when Loco are playing in domestic games because they push very high up the pitch, have a very high defensive line. Against, say, the game, the, the Bayern Munich and Atletico and all those games in, in the Champions League, he was probably Lokomotiv's star player when Vedran Chaluka went off at half-time injured against uh, Bayern, I think it was, in the first big game. He didn't take the captain's armband, but he became the leader of the defence. He told 
Slobodan Rajkovic alongside him what to do, where to go. And to tell Slobodan Rajkovic what to do for 90 minutes is a considerably harder job than any <laughs> any other defender <laughs> in the local team. So, but I, th- I think there's, out of these nominations here we've mentioned, it would be remiss to not go with, personally, my, what you said, David, is in Roman Yevgenyev. He's just came out of nowhere this season. Or has he, David? What do you think? Um, well, obviously, he was breaking through last year. And even this year, there's been a couple of moments. The, the one that sticks in my head where I, where I was a bit concerned for him was, um, I think, right at the start of the season, because let's say it was against Evgeny Lutsenko, who was obviously been injured. And uh, mm. we all know Lutsenko's a big, big, bulky striker. And I remember there was a big ball got whipped down to the left wing, and Lutsenko bullied Evgenyev and beat him to the ball. And yeah. Arsenal scored as a result of it, and that one sticks in my head. But and I can't remember if that was even at the tail end of last season because the seasons were so close together. Um, but you know, Dinamo obviously under under Schwartz this year they've they've really been firing. They've got a good, solid young core of players in that team. A lot of them homegrown. You uh, Evgeny being one of them. I think he's even been captaining them uh, quite consistently mm-hmm. as well. He's only twenty years old. Got his first cap for the national team as well. So it's been a big breakthrough season for him. You know, he he was obviously had established himself a little bit in the squad last year and was making appearances. Um, but this year he's really established himself as being one of the first team picks for the for the squad. And for that reason, his his great on the ball skills that he's got, um, and his good defensive prowess was was why I decided to pick him as my as my first choice. Yeah, for the majority of last season it seemed it was mainly Either Sunjic or Detz or Rikov, who were being chosen at centre, who were being picked at centre back by uh, the, form, the former manager, and he was just a bit part player. I think he made a, a, quite a string of games towards the end of last season, and I remember in the final game against Orenberg, he played. He actually played quite well, although Dinamo lost that match one nil, and it was the Arsenal Tula game at the start of the season because before that, Dinamo had played. Uh, Ural, Rotter and Rostov and kept three clean sheets in all three games, got seven points out of three to start the season, were right flying up there, I think they won four of the first five and then of course the player that you get rid of, your old player comes back to haunt you and then it was Yevgeny Letsunka who 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 pushed him off the ball and then crossed it in for Lesavoy to tap it in and, and that's only, only to be facing to Yevgeny if that's the only game that he's really struggled in, and that was when you've seen his lack of physical, not not physical prowess. He's a big, strong lad, but lack of experience to combat Lutsenko's own yeah, physical it prowess. Was definitely that. Like he, I think he just had him just put. I think he just put him on the wrong side. Didn't have the right body shape for the for the for the battle. I think they went shoulder to shoulder, and Lutsenko therefore had the the leverage to get around him. Uh, and it was just just purely that. You know, it's something you'd expect a young player to to learn from. Uh, and hopefully he will. And you know, I think he got slated a little bit um, on his Russia debut. I can't remember, was that? I, th- I have a feel. I want to say he debuted in the Serbia game, but maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Um, but I, I have a feeling he got some stick in that game. Um, was he one of the guys that came off at halftime? I forget. Here I am scrambling to try and remember. But I, <laughs> I know. I know. At the very least, he got a cap, and we're all very happy for him. Please leave me alone now. Yeah. He- I think it's been one of the reasons why Dinamo's defence has been so strong this season. 
And of course, before Schwarz had joined, a lot of that was because they did sit quite deep. But Dinamo have been transformed under Schwarz, Richard, do you think? Absolutely, yes. Um, I know they had that rocky run at the end before the winter break with those losses to um, Sochi and to uh, Zenit. But um, yeah, overall, there was definitely a massive improvement under Sandro Schwartz, um, including uh, Roman Yevgenyev. I think he, um, I think he'll mature into a very good player there under Schwartz's guidance. And uh, Dinamo have a good run of games coming up after the winter break. So I think that will equalise the slightly disappointing end to the fixtures before the winter break. So... Absolutely. And to, to expand on your point about Murillo, James, that's kind of the reason why I didn't really include him either. I thought his performances in the Champions League were probably more standout than in the in the RPL. So just thought mm-hmm. I'd throw that in, in there. Um, but yeah, you have Geniev, yeah, having thought about it, I think he'll be in contention. I've just really liked watching Gigo this season. I think, as I say, for Tedesco and for Spartak, he's, much, he's a, a real leader there for them. And, you know, he's always a threat at set pieces. So um, yeah. that's, that was kind of my reasoning for picking uh, Gigo. I I think Gigo's definitely been Spartak's most accomplished defender. His runs out of defence to link to midfield is is one of the vital parts of how Spartak can dominate games, ter- both in terms of possession and territory. The one thing I would say about Gigo, though, is Spartak's def- Spartak this, at times this season have been quite a glass cannon. And all of their defenders are prone to far too many mistakes. They're not anymore, but at one point they had scored the least from set pieces in general, but they'd conceded the most from set pieces from anyone in the league. And at one point it looked like if you were going to play Spartak, all you had to do was just get a corner and you're automatically going to be 1-0 up. So while Gigo, I think, has played very well this season, um, I think he's just making the odd costly error now and again, which is look at Spartak, that's that's just one of those things that happens and I wouldn't be surprised to be honest if it was just a, a result of the enormous pressure that so many of the players are constantly on when they're playing in that red and white shirt. But I think I think David, I, I'm going to have to agree with you again, I, I think Yevgenyev he's, he's just been brilliant and I, I keep harkening back to the game, two games after that uh, loss to Arsenal Tula, it was when uh, Dinamo hosted Zanit and Zanit at the time were flying scored in every single game in the season, at the start of the season. Uh, they were well ahead at the top of the table. And then they travelled to, to Dinamo and it was... They, they switched to a back three. And it was Yevgenyev, Odets and Sunjic, I think. Sunjic got the late winner with a header. And Yevgenyev just led that defence. And that was when you really started to take notice of just how mature this guy is for a 20-year-old centre-back. So I think it's going to have to be perhaps Yevgenia for the first centre-back choice, unless anyone's got any... I, I definitely will not be objecting no, I'm good to with being 3-3 three three so far. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I'm good with that, that's fine. <laughs> so next is the other centre-back. Now, we can mix it around and go with some of the guys we've already mentioned. Um, I will start off by my nomination being Igor Dveev at Siska. Another young centre-back who's really blossoming in his career this season. And, and like Yevgenyev at Dinamo, has already become the leader in the defence at such a young age. And Richard, how about you? Do you know, yeah, I'll probably go with Diveyev as well. Um, I think that, um, like you said, he's and he's had to take on extra responsibility too this year, hasn't he? Because obviously, Siska in the summer signed Bruno Fuchs from uh, International in Brazil. 
But obviously, he's been beset by injury problems. We've only seen him in one game so far, and he's he's apparently had further injury issues during the winter break, which will keep him out even longer. So, you know, considering that he was signed to be Deveev's starting partner in defence, and Deveev's not played alongside him at all, really, um, considering that extra responsibility Deveev has had to take on, then um, I think he's done ex- excellently well. And, you know, him and Yevgeniev, I think, are definitely going to be uh, Spornaya's starting central defence going forward over the next, you know, over the next decade, well, over this decade, really, over the twenty twenties. So, um, so yeah, I'm good to give, um, I'm good to give Deveev, um the second centre back spot. And David, who's your nomination? Um, well, I'd also shortlisted Murillo um, and Deveev, but they weren't my top choices. Uh, Murillo, I sort of discounted. Um, for those, as you, as I think, as you pointed out, a couple of games. There's one game in particular, but I can't remember the opponent. It might have been the Kinky game. Uh, it might even be one of the Champions League games. I just remember him getting caught out a couple of times with long balls over the top. Um, and so I, I sort of discounted him for that, uh, and purely because obviously his most showy games were in, in Europe, where he was really excellent for Loco. Uh, and Deveev, as much as I like him, I, I love Deveev. I think he's an excellent defender. Echo everything you've said. Um, the It was the Serie game where he started, um, and he had a bit of a nightmare in that first half. Um, I think was probably at fault for probably two of the goals. I think they went in four, what was it, 4 0 at half time, maybe? Um, mm-hmm. And Yevgeniev came on second half, replaced Deveev, and got his debut there. So just for that one, I think I discounted him, um, although they've both been excellent. Uh, I also had Pavel, I know you've both mentioned two Spartak defenders. I actually had the third Spartak defender, Pavel Maslov, in, my, in mind as my as a fifth choice. Um, he He's. I think he's been. I think he's been pretty good. I don't watch Spartak maybe as as closely as you guys. Obviously, you, obviously you, James. Um, I don't know. You mentioned to me yesterday that you you were slightly surprised by that. Um, yeah. I was. I was using. You know, my memories of the season and stats and uh, statistically, he was rated one of the highest. Um, I think he was in the top three centre backs for instat rating in the entire Premier League. Um, so that sort of reinforced my thoughts that he'd had a good season. So that's why I had him down. But I actually went for uh, Rostov uh, Defender Osipenka. Um, of course. Of course. Yeah, he's who, uh, You know, he, he lost his partner, Chistiakov, who went off to Zenit. And uh, it's, it's quite strange, actually, because him, him and Chistiakov have a very similar career path. They both came to Rostov via Tambov. Um which is very strange, and they—I think they were even a partnership back in Tambov. Um, but Ospenka's, you know, taken over working back there in the defence with uh, Hadzika Dunic. Um and you know he's playing really, really well. You know, he's—he's he's not a big, young, showy defender like Yevgeniev or Maslov. One for the future, he's one there who's at the peak of his career pretty much right now, um, and he's just playing very solidly. And you. You know, if, if Zenit didn't get Chistikov, you sort of would have pictured them going for Osipenko instead because they're both sort of operating a very similar level uh, and he's had a very good season. I must admit, I forgot to mention Osipenko. He is he was my first choice on my team as well. It was Osipenko and, and uh, Tefeev alongside each other, but oh, Osipenko's <laughs> been so good this season. <laughs> I'd actually totally okay. forgotten about him. Uh, <laughs> I haven't I've, seen a huge I've... amount of Rostov, to be fair. I've talked so well about Evgeniev that I talked you away from your first choice 
and then I've reminded <laughs> you of your first choice. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, it has to be Osa Pinker, to be honest. I know I mentioned, I know I uh, nominated Devere, but also, I, I'm just remembering just how good Osa Pinker has been and how how solid he was to, especially when, well, it was interesting when Chistikov made his move because before then, Osipenko and Chistikov were probably performing around to a similar level. Um, slightly different players. Osipenko's a bit more of a brute. He's a bit more of a tr- traditional centre-back in that case. Uh, Chistikov's much more comfortable on the ball and I presume that's probably the reason why Zenit went for Chistikov over Osipenko. But, all the way through the season, Osipenka was the leader in that defence. He was like the pack leader, if we're going to take a, a metaphor from rugby, and that he has been an absolute beast. And when I was when we were getting our nominations together, I I looked at some of the more in depth statistics, and if I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure on this because I didn't have the time to be honest to to get through the entire season, but I went through the first. 15 game weeks and in every single one of them Rostov hadn't conceded a single header from a set piece when Osipenko was on the pitch which is just quite incredible um, and he's played every game this season it wasn't 15 it was like 10 or 12 he's played every game this season uh, played every minute of every game this season and it's just an absolute rock at the back for Rostov and one of the reasons why Rostov is so difficult to beat in the air he's just that that big brutish traditional defender. I mean, he, he, I don't want to sell him short because he's better on the ball, but in, in a duel in the air on the ground, his positioning is just absolutely brilliant at this at this level in the RPL. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to have to go Osipenka because I forgot to mention him. <laughs> he's supposed to be my what I was going to say. So to expedite matters, um, we'll just move straight on to left back. Uh, my first nomination is, I know, a little bit of bias in here. So if I'm wrong and totally out of this, completely correct me. But I think it's Ayrton Lucas, um, which it's a very close one between him and Douglas Santos, who's also had a very strong season for Zenit. And once again, another Zenit player who's just a picture of consistency. But I've been really, really impressed by the way that Ayrton's taken, taken to Tedesco and how Tedesco's basically transforming or has tried to transform at least to an extent Spartak from a what was just a team that would basically dominate the ball and and do very little with it in the final third to what is rightfully so the side who have been one of the closer challenges to Zenit all season until late on and a big reason for that is Ayrton's marauding runs down the left Um, David who do you think? Yeah I also had um Ayrton as my top choice with uh, Dimitri Skopinsev just, just, just behind. It was very tight. I think I've, I've actually only literally just made the decision. Um, but Ayrton's my pick. I think alongside uh, Douglas, he, he's he's up there for the best um, left back in the league. And Douglas, you know, we haven't picked Douglas. He was there as our as team of the year pick last year. Um, but uh, I'm sort of picking Zenit's taking Zenit's um, European performances into into yeah. consideration and Douglas being a bit of an all-rounder. He's played all over the shop this season. He filled in at centre-half when Rakitsky was out. He played in centre-mid when they had several injuries as well. Um, so just for that reason, I've, I've gone with Ayrton. Yeah, he's one of those players who kind of suffers from his versatility, unfortunately, for him. So it's it's kind of difficult to put him in that one position when you've got 
uh, Aiton performing so well, but that 12th man will almost certainly be Douglas Santos. Uh, Richard, who would you think for left back? Oh, we all agree on this one then. Yes, I'm going for um, I'm going for Ayrton as well to make it three out of three. Um, definitely been um, he's been excellent this season under Tedesco, developing the defensive side of his game as well as the attacking side, which he always had, mm-hmm. and um, some of his link-up play with the forwards in the wing-back formation. Uh, I think has been excellent. So yeah, I'm definitely in agreement with you two there. Um, I had Santos Stern as my number two. Yeah, there's a case for Scott Pintsev as well. I think he's had another one who's had a good season. But yeah, I'm going to go for um, I'm going to go for Ayrton, um as well to make it three out of three. So he's our left back. Yeah, Ayrton would be the left back in the team of the autumn. But if it was worst tattoos of the autumn, he would also definitely be the left back in that because that one <laughs> on his neck is just absolutely horrendous. <laughs> Now we'll do the midfielders together. Um, I, I didn't. I wanted to try and avoid this because it's a very, very packed midfield, and I have six nominations because like, I had three for each position. And if any of one of two of these six are picked, I would genuinely be happy because they're all so ridiculously close together. But in the interest of expediting the process, um, I'll go with a, a Rubin player. David, you'll be happy, and that's Abdulgar in central midfield. And David, who do you think for your perhaps for your two? Uh, are we saying are we going with both? Are we at this point? Yeah, just to expedite the um, process. Yeah, my my two centre mids were Oliver Abdulgar, same as you, the Rubin midfielder, and uh, shit, who was the other one? Christian Naboa, of course. You, you said Alex Kral wrong there. The eternal <laughs> Christian Naboa. And Richard? I still went for Barrios, although I will confess Abelgard has a very good season for Rubin. Um, yeah, he's a player who's caught my eye as, as well. Um, the other one, I've gone for Alex Kral. Uh, I've gone for Kral and um, I've gone for Kral and Barrios. Although no, I did I... think about Naboa. Naboa has had an excellent season considering his age and considering how well Sochi performed. Tough one. Now, I intentionally didn't say my second one, just to see what you would both say, because my second one is so close between Kral and Naboa that I genuinely don't have a clue which one I would go for. I think Kral, it looks like he could get his big move this month, and if he doesn't, he certainly will in the very, very near future. And it's absolutely deserved. He is the driving force between behind Tedesco and Spartak. Um, the only thing about Kral, I would say, is that he, although it's not his job, he does have a nosebleed every time he gets too much altitude up the pitch. Um, but Christian Aboa, what a season he is having. Nobody would have expected him to quite d- turn into basically Sochi's main man for everything. Brilliant defensively, brilliant going forwards. He's one of the leading goal scorers in the competition. Set pieces just set up pretty much every single other Sochi goal. And a large reason as to why Sochi performing to such a high level this season is down to Naboa. And I genuinely wouldn't have expected to have Naboa in the team of the team of the autumn or season or whatever in 2021 at the age of what 36. But if we've all, I think we all mentioned him. I think we'd probably be right in inferring that he could be the first name on the team sheet. And then I will go and say, David. So you've you've your other one was Abdulgar. Now. How about if I hear Abdulgar and suggest perhaps a, a player that I know you are a massive fan of in Obliakov at Siska? Um, well, 
he's on my list. He was on my short list. Um, as was as was Crow, as was Barrios. They were all on my short list. As was uh, Kings Kangaroo out of Arsenal Tula. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, very good. But since we're picking, you know, centre midfielders slash defensive minor midfielders, um, Abel Gore, you know, has has been incredibly good this season. Uh, he's he's up yeah. there. Um, high, is the highest number of interceptions, highest number of tackles. I think one of the highest blocks as well. Uh, very high pass accuracy. Um, you know, if we if we're taking external things in, things like such as like team of the weeks or things like that, he's constantly rating, picking up in there. Um, uh, he's you know he's picked up his Dan- Danish international debut. Um, I was just reading a Slutsky interview the other day where he was singing his praises, just saying how much he's done for the team. Um, Ruben's two defenders, I think, are one one of the lowest in terms of tackles and blocks because Abu Gord is doing it all for them, basically. Um, <laughs> So um, for that reason, I picked him ahead of Obliakov, who, yes, I really like and I think has had an excellent season. But Eboa was a must-have, must-have yeah. in the team. Um, and while Obliakov has been very, very good, as has, and Kraus has been good, Barrios has been decent. Not, as, you know, he's still up there as one of the best players in in the league. Um, but I, I just felt Abu Gore. Yes, yeah, so, uh, you know, you're all going to say I, I am a Ruben fan. I, I probably do have some Ruben bias. Um, but um, I think his role in the team and, and his statistics show how, how good he has been. Um, since And, you know, he's a fresh arrival in the league as well. Let's remember that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he's, he's been really excellent. And he, he was one of my first names down on my list. Yeah, it, it shows the sort of quality of football that he's been playing that he's he was in Denmark for for AAB Alborg before he made his move to Rubian. But it's after he made the move to Rubian that he actually got his Den- Denmark debut against Sweden mm, on Armistice Day. So and I am I'm, I'm in agreement with Barrios and it's it perhaps is is a little unfair that if this was purely who is the best eleven players or best in each position in the league Vil- Vilma Barrios absolutely will be one of the two central midfielders, at, at, mm-hmm. without a shadow of a doubt, in my opinion. But, and like I say, perhaps this is a little bit harsh to judge him by his own extremely high standards. But I just think he's been a little bit of a shadow of a player that he was last season. Now, I'm not sure if that's the Zenit's general performances in Europe that's weighing in the back of my mind or not. Or if it is just the surprise at how far Abdelgar has come this season, but I think uh, I think it would be remiss not to get Abdelgar Nabor in those two defensive midfield positions. Richard, what do you think? Would you <laughs> would you be happy with Abdelgar in there? Yeah, I know we're about time. I'll, I'll be quick. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll be happy with that because also as well, um, in comparison to you know someone like Nabor who's gets who's been getting forward and scoring and you know has historically been a you know, a, a deeper playmaker, you know, Abelgard adds balance as being a pure defensive midfielder. So actually it's a good balance too. So yeah, although, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm open to that. Yeah, that's a good, good balance. Um, you know, Kral and um, Naboa are both good shouts, but I think Naboa has yeah. definitely with his goals and he has, he, like I say, it's good. It's a good balance with Abelgard in the, you know, a deep playmaker and um, a pure defensive midfielder in Abelgard. So yeah, that's a good um, deep midfield too for me. 
it pains me not to put Alex Kral in this team, but yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, this is so good. Um, it's me when you pronounce Elulgo wrong. I've pronounced everything wrong. We're used to it by now. <laughs> All the listeners know this, but in my defence, I was the only one to get Yevgenyev correct. Now, number ten. There's only one man who's going to be the number ten. This will be the shortest part of the team by quite some distance. He's been the best player in the league this season so far by quite some distance, and it's, of course, the Croatian Modric in Nikola Vlasic. Um, I would come to you guys on that one, but I'm going to just expedite the process here because unless you've got any obje- obje- objections at all to Vlasic being our number 10? No, we could wax lyrical about him. But uh, in in the honour of time, uh, let's just say we, we all love him. No objections. Yeah. Yeah. By far, right now, the most talented and informed player in the league. And then out wide, um, once again, I'll I'll go for my both of my nominations first. Uh, I think one of them is a surefire hit, but I'll be happy to hear your opinions on that. And that's my first nomination in Remy Kabea. Um, no matter if it's been in, in the league or in Europe, Krasnodar have just looked tons of better sides when he's been involved. The part of their really rocky run was when he was completely out of the team due to, I think it was COVID. And just before and after that, his return is just night and day. Some of the goals he scored this season, just the quality of the finishes is just unbelievable. He's been all over the pitch. This is the Kabir who's performing to the high elite level that Krasadar wanted last year for Europe and unfortunately lost straight, almost straight away with a, a long-term injury. And the other one on the opposite side is uh, the young Dinamo winger who deservedly earned his call from from uh, his, his big move, sorry, from uh, Arsenal, and that's uh, Daniel Lesavoy. Uh, David, who would you think to have out wide? Yep, I had Lesavoy down on the left wing. Uh, as much as it begrudged me to not include uh, future Kvaratskhelia, um, I think Lesavoy has had, um, or he certainly had a more productive season. Um, and more, you know, more experienced player, and he has he has had a better season. Um, I, I had to pick him. He's he's been really, really good. Um, and on the right, it was it was hard this one because obviously, by nature, you think of Cabello as being a, a a central central midfielder, but he has been playing out wide. Um, so initially, I had Konstantin uh, Kuchayev down um, as a mm-hmm. as a right sided player, although he also he isn't really a winger. Or a wide player by 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 default, um, so it's a tough one. I could go if we're happy to put put those down. Um, I'd be happy to go with either Kachai or or Remy Cabela because Kachai really stepped up when Siska was struggling at the start of the season um, and come up with a lot of goals after a long. He'd also let's remember had a very long layoff with injury, um, missed almost the entirety of the of the previous season. Um, so both both those guys have a similar story. You know, missed a lot of last season, the comeback, and have had big impacts on the team. Yeah. Um, so if I was pressed, I think I probably would pick Cabela just purely for for the European uh, performances that he put in. Um, but yeah, Kuchayev, Kuchayev was a, a a close pick, as was Kavitra on the left, and I also think uh, Lomovitsky has had a good season as well. Oh. Oh. <laughs> um. Yeah, I could I could easily uh, put Kachayev in either ahead of ahead of Lesavoy, to be honest. They both had similar seasons where they've been very much a young, but it, what is it? What lots of stereotypical wingers are at their age, where 
they're not necessarily in the game all of the time, but when they are in it, they really make it count. It's kind of like the opposite of Kavicha, because Kavicha is just a dribble merchant with uh, not the best end product. Whereas Kachayev and Lesavoy aren't in all of the time, but then when they do, they make it count. Richard, who would you nominate for wingers? I'd probably go with... Um, I'm definitely going to go with Cabela, based on the fact that the European performances, like I say, when he came back into the side, Krasnodar's performances in Europe and general overall play really um, went up a notch. I think he was crucial to that victory against Wren, which got them European football after Christmas. You could tell all that year, all those years of experience playing in League 1 made such a difference and you know it, it galvanised the rest of the team. You know, um, he was a, a level of player which, you know, the RPL needs more of. And, you know, you, you could tell his experience made the difference in that game. And his form since coming back into the side after early season layoffs has been very good. And Krasnodar recently have started to climb the table too. I still think there's an outside chance they could finish in the top three, you know, if they carry on performing the way they did before the break. So, yeah, I've got to have Kabe in there. And I'm actually, yeah, I'm going to agree. I'm going to go with Lezavoy. Lezavoy and Kvicha were my two on the left side. Uh, and I'm going to go with Lezavoy. Maybe a little bit of bias, obviously, me covering Dinamo for the site, but um, he's been very good yeah. generally. He had a good season last season, and he's built on it this season. And, um, yeah, I think he'll be a key man for Dinamo in the new year. So, yeah, I'm going to go for Lezavoy and Cabela alongside Vlasic. Yeah, I think if I want to give some of the listeners a little peek behind the RFN curtain, the recording software we use has a button to basically let people know when they would like to, to jump in to, to join the conversation. And as soon as I said that Kavicha was a dribble merchant, I just gla- glanced to the left of me and just saw David's little hand just immediately <laughs> pop well, up. Uh, it's not even about Kavicha that I wanted to mention. It was the fact that you didn't say Lesavoy was. Um, Lesavoy has only made uh, 30 less dribbles than Kavicha has in the league. He is the second highest dribbler in the league by a distance, those two. So yeah. um, they're, they're both, as you might say, dribble merchants. Uh, and I think it's actually it's it's something that's it's really evolving in the league at the moment. You know, we've got a lot of very talented um, players on the ball. Um, Makarov at, at Rubin on the right side is also um, up there in the top four for dribbles, but just behind Bernard Barisha, who we all know is a ridiculous knock and run dribbler uh, with his outrageous pace, and the player who we already picked, Ayrton, is is the fifth in terms of attempted dribbles uh, from left wing back, and and that's again because of his outrageous pace. Um, Ejuke is is getting there, but he's a little way behind. We know from his time in, in Holland that he loves to dribble, and we've seen it at Cisco, but he's not just quite had the minutes in the league, uh, nor has he got it going. Um, but yeah, it's weird. You know, we've got, on one side, we've got two really dynamic wingers. We've gone on the left, we've gone with Lesavoy and, and Kavichas as our, you know, as our top picks. Uh, you know, dynamic, pacey, will just take people on whenever they get the chance. Uh, and on the right side, we've picked two abstract wingers who are really more like playmakers in Kuchayev and, and Cabela, um, which on, on a pitch would actually be quite probably interesting to watch. Uh, perhaps slightly unbalanced, but um, but yeah, I think uh, um, Lesavoy, Lesavoy um, you know, they, they've both got different styles of their, of their dribbling. Lesavoy is one of those guys who he'll beat you in little quick spurts um, and he's closer in, tight knit. Whereas Kavicha will will run at a player who'll generally try and beat them down the line. Um, but yeah, they both had really good seasons, and I, I was I was tough on myself to not pick Kavicha because I do think Lesvoy has had a better season, um, and they both got big yeah. futures. And it was a shame when Lesvoy got called up to um, 
Spornaya and then missed out with I think he had COVID because um, he really he would have really been a nice nice addition to the team at that point. Yeah, especially when at the time a lot of uh, Spornaya's first choice wingers were unavailable, such as uh, Leosher and and Golovin were both out and. And uh, Cherishev himself had only just came back from injury and clearly lacked match sharpness. And then it would have been really nice to see Lesovoy get some minutes for the first team and instead of uh, 85-year-old Yonov out, out wide. But I think Lesovoy and Cabela's are nice, like I said, nicely balanced and, and fair. But um, some of the guys that I had down on my, my list is I had Berisha down, but then I, I crossed him out and, and remembered that uh, Wanderson was playing. But was playing very, very well at the start of the season. At the, at the first five to ten games or so, Anderson was kind of leaps oh, and bounds ahead of everybody he was, else. He was ridiculous. I remember waxing lyrical on the pod about him being, you know, the most formed player in the league. And then, what was it, the Pout game? He, he got injured. And mm-hmm. man, he was such a big miss for, for them in the, in the Champions League. It was such a shame. Yeah, and it's just... He hasn't really spent enough minutes, as, as many minutes on the pitch as some of the other guys or had as big of an impact on that individual side season purely because of, like you said, his injuries. And I would like to stick a little one in here for Jordan Larson because I think Jordan Larson has been one of the best players for Spartak and and is just such a creative, talented footballer. But unfortunately, because of the way we do these teams, you get the odd player that doesn't quite fit into the into the way the team set up you have to really pick at the start a formation to go with so that automatically rules out say some of the guys who play uh, some of the teams who play a back three with that position either side of the striker that sort of inside forward second striker position that both Larson and and Kachayev play played before Goncharenka Larson for Spartak and Kachayev for Siska before Goncharenka changed to a back four um, fit into and there's just no way to kind of fit him into the team, in my opinion, even though I think he's been very good for Spartak, if if slightly inconsistent too. And another one I would like to to basically highlight here is is uh, Antoshkar and Anton Moranchuk, who I think stepping up in in his brother's shoes very well to the extent that eventually you can mention Antoshka without having to mention his brother. And it's more than deserved because he must have heard that probably his entire career so far. Um, but he's he just he's not quite there for me yet, and I genuinely prefer him in the middle rather than out wide. I think that's where his future will be. I think he's he's fast and he can use his pace to great effect, and that's generally why he was played out wide because he was faster than his brother. But he's showing now he can be just as creative at this level. Um, so I would like to see more of that. And I like what you said, David, about the the wingers sort of that this sort of troop and troop of very fast, direct wingers, exciting wingers to watch who are all developing in the RPL at the same time right now. And it's it reminds me of a of an interview that I think it was Kenta Hashimoto had where he in interviewed in, in his native one of his native news sites in Japan and they were asking him about the difference between the J League and the RPL and, and what he's what it's like being like to step up. And he from a technical point of view, tactical point of view, he said that uh, the RPL is far less technical. Um, you're not as expected to to say have to track back quite as much. I think it was I'm, I'm sure it was Hashimoto, uh, but he said that the the pace is just unbelievably. So he's never played played football at this pace before, and that is one thing about the RPL that's sort of unexpected. You hear these 
aphorisms that it's a very defensive league. And of course, the goal scorers are always quite low compared to others. It is just as a fact, one of the lowest goal scoring leagues in Europe over the last of top leagues in Europe over the last five years. It is the lowest goals goals on average. But just because it's a defensive league doesn't necessarily mean that there's not exciting football. And in the last year, 18 months or so, we've really seen some really dynamic wingers coming through. What do you think, Richard? I'm just going to go back to uh, the Jordan Larson thing, uh, um, nomination, James. Yeah, he is a bit unlucky because, like I say, he's had a very, very good season for Spartak. Uh, I think him and Ponce have linked very, very well. I think Ponce have linked very, very well as a front two. And like I say, he's sort of a bit unlucky, really, because Vlasic is the central one of the three that we've picked in behind the striker. And obviously Vlasic is more of an attacking midfielder. So he has been a bit unlucky, I have to say. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely going to put him in there as probably a reserve Larson because he's, he's definitely a, a superb um, second striker playing off the front man. And also another one last um, quick um, other um, honourable mention I'm going to give is uh, Bakitar Zayutninov. I think he's been generally quite a good, consistent mm. player. Played a number of different positions for Siska, the best summer signing. Only €2 million. Euros. Um, you know, doesn't count on the foreign limit too. You know, and he was initially just seen as just, you know, a good squad filler option. But I think he's shown his Im- impressive versatility. He's played left back, he's played left wing. So, yeah, and I'll throw Zayutninov in there as an honourable shout too. Yeah, I think Zayutninov's another one like Douglas Santos, where when it comes to these sort of composition of 11 players in a team his versatility really does work against him even though he's a dream to have in a, in a squad he's been brilliant for Siska and I, I think we've mentioned quite a few times on pods in the past that we wouldn't have expected him to have been Siska's best signing but it's not even close he's by far and away Siska's best signing of the summer and he's really really taken it like a duck to water at, at, at a bigger club so David last word on wingers yeah just um coming back on what you said about Hashimoto and um, I've seen interviews with Huang and Saito, I think, both the, the Asian players who are, who are at Rubin, who had said similar things about, you know, the pace of the league compared to the MLS or the J-League or the K-League, uh, where they where they played in the past. And the um, uh, interesting thing I noted about their interviews is that um, Huang especially noted that uh, when asked about Kvitscher, you know, about, about playing with Kvitscher because the Russian press, you know, like it, it was a Russian interview. And he said, you know, we do get frustrated on the pitch when he when he loses the ball because, you know, as a player who dribbles so much, he's going to lose the ball sometimes uh, just by the nature, pure nature of it. Um, but he said that the coach had told them not to get angry at him and that to blame, don't blame Kvitscher, blame Slutsky because he, Slutsky, is looking to get the best out of Kvitscher and therefore doesn't want to limit them. And he's, he, he said the same about Amakara on, on the other side. And I found that quite interesting. That basically, Slitsky's nur- trying to nurture him in a way. He's just not giving any limitations. He's encouraging him to go out there and do what he does best. Um, mm. And I found that quite interesting because, you know, I think as you as you'd expect, you know, you see in you see in Kvitscher with probably a free pass onto someone in the middle, but he tries to take on his fullback, and his dribble rate is just over fifty percent. Uh, but he has by far and away the most dribbles attempted, so he's got the most completed at the same time. So one in two dribbles, he's going to work, and one isn't going to work. So if you're watching him thinking, there's a free pass here, play it to me, you might not get past him. Um, but then half the time he does, and half the time he'll get into a dangerous situation. So I thought that was just quite an interesting interesting thing that um, to note about that, and I wonder if that's something we're seeing around around the league. You know, it was 
it was this time last year where he and Arunov, who was at Ufa at the time, were breaking through and they both had those dynamic breakthroughs in, into the first team uh, of their respective clubs. And I hope we get more of them coming through. Yeah, hopefully. That's that's really interesting on Slutsky. It's it's actually just the most Leonid Slutsky thing you'll ever hear in your life. I mean, I don't want to sell the bloke short. He's he's done great at, at clubs he's been at in the past, but one thing that Slutsky will probably be remembered for quite a lot is he's just an incredibly efficient man manager and a genuinely just gen lovely, lovely bloke. Um, oh, yeah. Whenever you you see like the him singing the Christmas the Christmas carols during the winter that went viral that and you've been socials. That was super. Like he's just, that's just typical of Slutsky, just to take hmm. it on the chin and say, yeah, blame me, not him, take it out on me. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, Slutsky's always seen, in all the interviews I've seen with him, like they always ask him about Kvitra, and he's always said, look, I've worked with players, he's got a good record. Slutsky is responsible for developing Alexander Golovin and Martin Odegaard. Like, that's, that's two pretty impressive players to have on your resume uh, for a manager who hasn't, let's be honest, been around much. And let's also just add to that, I just will, for English-based, Jared Bowen. Slutsky was the guy who gave Bowen his breakthrough at Hull. Um, so he's obviously got a knack for for working with younger players. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see how it carries on. Kavich has been excellent. He scored five goals in five games over this winter break. So I'm excited to see him mm. in the second half of the season. Yeah. I mean, when I was talking about being a dribble merchant before, it is mainly just... Oh yeah, games, I knew it was tongue-in-cheek. Um, <laughs> he is... But I do think the one part of his game that needs to develop is his final product oh, and yeah. more so decision making. But the good definitely. thing about having that is it's definitely something that can be developed quite easily, can be coached. That natural innate pace and ability to beat a man is far more difficult to coach in decision making. He's oh, yeah. still what, only just turned 20 or still 19? That's going to come with turns time. 20 in two days' time as of recording. Yeah. So, yeah, very, very young still. Plenty, plenty of time to, to learn. And if yeah, we're basing it this uh, winter, then it's, it's starting already. Himenage UK, yeah. The, the, the end product will improve. It's, it's a question of young players. It happens all the time. But I'm, I'm absolutely convinced a pair of them that the end product will improve. Yeah. So I'll move on to the final position on the pitch, and that's up front. Now, I think we could perhaps have like quite a little, nice little debate on my hands here because now there's... We went. One of the reasons we went with a four-two-three-one this this year, we, we we discussed this in advance and save yourselves from all the droning on of the, of the of the nitty gritty behind the scenes. And it's basically there's not been too too many strikers who have really caught the league by fire this season or really stood out. But of those that have, I think it's pretty damn close between them compared to say in midfield where Vlasic was an automatic automatic choice no matter what, and then. Just behind him, the and out wide, the the competition's so fierce. It could literally be five completely different names, and every single one of them, you would think, oh yeah, that makes sense. So, to start off with, my first choice and nomination and current leading scorer, if I remember correctly, of course, would have to be for me Sardar Asmoon. Um, Richard, who do you nominate? I think I'll probably go. Just for Asmoon, um, because you know we had that electric start. There was then those injury issues, and then just before the winter break, he came back into form, was scoring those goals. He was very impressive against Spartak in the final game before the winter break. Um, 
And then Despotovic, Georgia Despotovic for Rubin was also on my shortlist because also I think he's massively improved uh, Rubin this season because uh, obviously that was the position that they were lacking and they got him on a free transfer for Morenberg. And, you know, when he, you know, he's made a difference to Rubin's attack. Um, I will probably edge towards Asmoon, although Despotovic was a nice um, one to have in consideration as well. Um, so, yeah, I'll probably go just with Asmoon, although it was tight. David, a day, I presume, for your nomination? Well, uh, I'll play devil's advocate a little bit. And uh, my, my top choice, with probably some Ruben bias in there, was Despotovic, with Asmoon just behind. Um, my reasoning behind that being, Asmoon did miss a chunk of the season there in the middle. Uh, missed a couple of big chances in a couple of European games, as I recall. Um, was excellent, and very admittedly excellent, uh, in that last little run before we went to break. Um, that game was it. Was it Ural where they won five? They scored five at home. I can't remember. And he got mm-hmm. like a hat trick and an assist. He he was terrific in that one. Uh, and you're also wondering now, like he's what twenty? I want to say twenty five, twenty six. Could this be his last season in Russia? You know, he's he's been in Russia since he was seventeen. Uh, but I digress. Um, I went for Despot just purely because of his impact on the team. Um, he's not scored as many goals. He only scored seven in comparison uh, to, to Asmoon. But when Despot isn't in the Rubin side, they're just not going to win full stop. He, he, he has such a big impact on how Rubin are playing. Um, with even Ignatiev just not suiting uh, the way that Rubin are playing right now, Despot is a perfect striker. He's a really good hold-up player. He scores goals, he's confident, he's got experience. Um, and yeah, that, that was why I picked him uh, just about over Asmoon. As much as I have, you know, love Asmoon, I've followed him for his entire career so far. Uh, I, I just had to had to go for my man, uh, Despot. It's quite funny that these, these two are totally different players, but when you try and have to sit down and anachronistically compare the two, they are actually quite similar. Now, you said that Despot has only got seven goals this season, but Ruben Kazan themselves have only scored 24 goals. Now, Despot's contribution on goals alone is 29% of all Ruben goals have been Despot, uh, which is the joint highest in the league alongside Nabor at Sochi. Now, ironically, just behind Despot is Asmoon. In that his 11 goals this season is 26% of Zenit's 43. And of course, Zuba is just the same with 26% of, of Zenit's 43 too. They both have missed quite a few games from injury this season. Um, Despot more than you would like because, yeah, I, I agree. He he makes Rubin tick tick more than any other. Um, but I think Asmoon equally also makes Rubin tick. Th- uh, sorry, Zenit tick this season. Just look at, look at Zenit's record without... Asmoon in in the RPL and uh, with Asmoon, sorry. And last time they lost with Asmoon was all the way back in August, and that was that one nil defeat away at Dinamo when Yevgeny Evansunyich basically decided to have the game of the careers. Uh, every single other game since then, Asmoon starts, Zenit win. Uh, when they score lots of goals, Asmoon's always on the score sheet. Now the big one against Asmoon is. This is ironically his striking partner who has scored just as many goals as he has. Pretty much scores in the same games because whenever Asmoon scores, it seems to be that Zuba scores. 
it's a it's a weird one at Zenit because you, you often see in teams um, to go to my own team's greatest rivals, Newcastle, to have them in as a metaphor. When when they signed Demba Bar, I think he got like ten, ten in between ten and fifteen goals in the season up until January, and then they signed Cisse, Pape Cisse, who then got ten to fifteen goals from January. If whenever they started together, they never ever both scored. Or when Papa Cissé would go on a big run, Demba Bar wouldn't score in that time period. He didn't score again at all until the very end of the season when Cissé had dried up his goals. And then following on to the next season, it was a total opposite where one would go on the other run on a big run. And that that does happen actually quite a lot. It has throughout history. Um, yeah, I remember that. I remember that the... Newcastle period. Yeah, I remember when it was one time Bar scoring, the next time C- um, Papa Cissé scoring over a couple of month runs. I remember that. Yeah, and and then when you go all the way back to back to the sixties, you had um, Valentin Ivanov and Edward Streltsov playing up top together for Top Topero Moscow, and it sounds ridiculous to say because the two of the most legendary figures in Soviet history, but they never ever scored in the same game, like which is just unbelievable considering the sheer amount of goals that they both got for Topero in that time, uh, but they never scored together, and you often see that strikers play in tandem where one has a purple patch the other one dries out a little bit but the incredible thing about these two at Zenit is that whenever they score they tend to both score so they beat Ufa 6-0 they both grab goals they beat um, Tambov 4-1 they both got goals they beat Ural 5-1 they both got goals they beat Dinamo and Spartak they both got goals so it, it is quite an interesting and intriguing argument as as to is do you go for the what I think is Zenit's best player and and what is the who is the best player in the league in 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 his position right now in Asmoon, or the man who basically when he's missing Ruben turned to shit. So David, I'll, I'll jump back to you. How, how, what what would you say about Despot? A convince otherwise? Well, I mean, the fact that I think what we've not picked a single Zenit player so far, <laughs> and they're and they're top of the league. So it almost makes me wanna wanna lean more towards Asmoon. You know, it was a tough pick, and I, and I, you know, I do have the Ruben Bias and was playing some Devil's Advocate just to add a name in there. Um, you know, I, I had my legitimate reasons for having Despot in my in my top two there. Um, and uh, and you know, in my head now, I'm thinking, do do we do we have Asmoon in there just to have a Zenit player? Because I'm pretty sure we haven't picked a Zenit player so far. No, which there's is, no Zenit that, place. Which is bizarre. No. <laughs> um, which which is it is strange to say. Obviously, um, I think we were all including their European performances in in there, which was so disappointing. Um, but domestically, you know, last year they had the clean sweep and defence, and this year Rakitsky has not been so good. Lovren has been decent, um, and then obviously the fullbacks, as we as we noted already, Karabai has been not at the same level and Douglas has been all over the shop in terms of where he's been playing. Um, so I think we've, we've all noted, I think in general, uh, from the star players, Barrios, Karavayev, uh, a slightly lower level. Um, but as Moon's that one guy whose level hasn't really dropped between the two seasons, you know, the only time he, he had a little purple, uh, or whatever the opposite of the purple patches, um, was that spell where he, where he was injured uh, just before it as well. And, and in Europe, where he, you know, I, I felt he struggled, um, which which is a shame. But so yeah, I, I I sort of feel like I could go 
could be convinced to go for Rasmussen here. Yeah, I, I think for me it has to be just the the sheer of the sheer quality of the goals that he scores. Those those ones late on against Dinamo and Spartak, some of them were just out of this world. That that move where it was just one touch football and then volleyed into the net. It was just a, a brilliant goal. And and to quickly jump on Zenit for a second, um, the three players who were really unlucky not to get a look into this team are probably Barrios, Stoyev, and Santos. Uh, I think they've all played brilliantly this season. Doug, like I said before, they've, they've, they're all just very consistent. Um, not quite as good as last year, but still performing to an exceedingly high level. And that's why he's in at a top, top of the league by clear by four points of Cisco now. But Zenit have won the league the last two seasons because they've steamrolled it and because they didn't have the November curse, the old winter curse that they had that there's articles on the site about. And where they always have a, a patchy November, it ended Mancini's career in Zenit. Basically, he never recovered from that terrible run that they went on. And this this year, they did have that. They lost against Bruges, uh, Rubin, Dortmund in a row. And then Lazio, they lost against, uh, drew with Achmat, lost against Lazio, drew with Arsenal, lost against Bruges. I mean, of, of course, these European games do make it look worse. If it's just the RPL, it's it's still a decent run of form. Um, not but not by Zenit's high standards and not by the high standards of these players who absolutely dominated our end-of-season awards last season. Seven of the 11 players were Zenit. Uh, I never expected, and it pained me so much as a Spartak fan to stick all them in there. But they absolutely deserved it. And this, is, this isn't anything against Zenit this season. And I'm sure most of you Zenit fans who are listening right now would probably agree that Zenit just don't look as good as they did last season, even domestically, just not quite as good. There's a lot of players who have either been a little bit iffy on, on form, not as not really picking up the levels of last year, or have missed large chunks again, like Malcolm. Malcolm's been excellent this season, but he's missed large chunks of it. And I think the, just the sheer underperforming in Europe, just how terrible they are, more than any other team, is the one thing that I simply can't get out of the back of my mind. It's not just the players, it is also the, the, the system, the structure of Russian football holding them back, the managerial issues. It, it, it's like a long list of problems that basically created the worst possible run for Zenit. But Zenit are by far and away the richest club in Russia right now. They by far and away got the easiest draw of any of the clubs. They've got the best team, pound for pound the best players, but they're completely and utterly underperformed in every single game. The two performances against Bruges were just rank awful. Bruges knew exactly what to do, how to attack them, and how to just to pick them apart. And that that young lads who who scored the last goal in the opening game to beat them three nil, they even uh, uh, sorry scored the opening goal to beat them, and then beat them three nil in the reverse fixture. He's just got the freedom of the box just to ghost in and and get and get the goal. It was just terrible defending, and. For that, for that, like you said yesterday, David, we just can't. I personally can't really separate Zenit's European form from the league form this season, while also accepting that Zenit are only in that position because they're so good at the same time. Richard, what do you think? As as your last as last word in Zenit? Yeah, um, just to go back to the point about Asmoon and um, about you mentioned about the age. Yeah, he's at no at twenty six. I did post in a RFN chat on Facebook that 
there was a link to a um a champion article they they taken it from sport express i think and i think it was um asmoon mentioning that um he feels now that he's ready to to go abroad now apparently um and i think he's mm. probably acknowledging now at 26 that you know if he waits any longer after this summer he might not get that move and i'm beginning to think now he he's he's stayed in russia eight years he can speak Russian in interviews, which is really unique for a, a foreign player who comes to Russia, especially one from a non-ex-Soviet Union country. And, you know, he speaks Russian in interviews now relatively well. And I think he's probably done his dues here come the end of the season. I think he probably will move on. Um, and, you know, 26, he doesn't want to miss the boat. I think he, I think he's contracted till 2022. I don't know that for certain. But obviously, he'd only have one year left on his contract. So it might be within Zenit's interest as well to get some money on him um, and I think I'd like to see him go abroad now I think he's got to the stage now eight years he's done brilliantly well in Russia scored goals since he signed for Zenit he's been a revelation but yeah I'm beginning to think now that um, we mentioned earlier about him thinking about you know getting to that age where he's ready to move abroad I think even he himself acknowledges now that at 26 you know footballers are getting breaking into teams younger and younger and if he doesn't go now when will he go so you know there's always looking out for younger stars players now especially in a Covid era where there's probably going to be less big transfers. So I think at 26, yeah, Asmoon probably is at that stage where he's he's ready to go abroad. Um, but yeah, about the team, yeah, I I, I take on board those points about um, Zenit James. But um, again, yeah, I'm probably leaning towards playing Asmoon in this team because he has still been a shining beacon of consistency. Yeah, some of the performances in Europe weren't great and he has been injured a little bit, but he's still so crucial to, for Zenit. Yeah. David, any last words on Zenit, Asmoon or Despot, maybe? Um, no, no, no last word. I mean I, I think I think I'm I'm firmly behind the As Asmoon the Asmoon push here now. Um you know I think we we we've acknowledged that, that Despot's role is is important there. Um, yeah. and obviously Asmoon does work work well in that pair. But um, yeah, he, he has been very good again. Um, and let's be honest, even if he doesn't go, he could still go to prison and get a move to Fiorentina in five years' time. So, <laughs> fire, fire, disaster, spell at Spartak 2 again as well. Hmm. Um, so, that's the full RFN Premier League team of the season. So, to quickly run through it one last time in goal, uh, Ilya Lantratov, right back, Mario Fernandez, the two centre backs are Roman Yevgenyev and Maxim Osipenka, left back, Ayrton Lucas. And then defensive midfielders, Christian Naboa and Oliver Abdelgar. Right wing, Remy Cabela. Left wing, Daniel Savoy. And then there's the 10, Nikola Vlasic in behind Sardar Azamun up top. Now, we've had some honourable mentions all the way through. All the guys that we've nominated and any other players that came up in conversation are, are really what would essentially make up the substitutes bench of the of the, t the team of the autumn. But lastly, David, just nice and quick, who would you want for manager of the autumn? Um, my my first thought when I when I was posed this was uh, Cherevchenko. I think he's done a as a, as much as I hate to admit it because I don't like Kimki. He's done an excellent job there at Kimki, uh, turning them around and making them competitive. So uh, I'll go with Cherevchenko. And Richard, if it had, if he'd have been at Kimki at the start of the season and they were a, a place or two higher in the table, I'd be inclined to agree. However, I'm going to go for Vladimir Fedotov at um, at Sochi to have them fourth in the league and pushing for 
you know, European qualification, I think, is is excellent. Um, and got them playing some good football too, scoring goals. Um, so, Chevchenko, an honourable mention for me, but I'm going to go for Fedotov. Now I'm going to take the easy option and say I would be happy with either Fedotov or Cherovchenko. I think the way Cherovchenko has transformed Kimki's fortunes around is not not necessarily surprising. Um, he's not the greatest manager, to be honest. He's he's doing well with a decent group, but it was inevitable that Kimki were going to struggle at the start of the season with a fraud like Sergei Yuran in charge. Uh, not Sergei Yuran, sorry. Uh, Dmitry Gunka in charge. He, the pair of frauds, to be honest. But, but yeah, Gunka was just... <laughs> Rank awful. It, it was a terrible appointment from the start. And to be honest, I'm surprised the sacking came as long as it did. And luckily, because this won't be going on the graphic anywhere, I can sit and happily proclaim that the manager is a combination of both Fedotov and Cherovchenko. And on that bombshell, that's been it for the RFN podcast this week. So thanks again, David and Richard, for joining me. Not a problem. But pleasure. Uh, we'll be back again next week to review all the season's action in the Finna L. And then before jumping into a, a nice preview of Krasnodar and the Europa League. Now, in con- and that's in conjunction, the, the Finetel one, with David's excellent series in which he's discussed how each side is faring in the Finetel this season. Uh, most of those are live on the site. We'll be having one coming up as soon as we finish recording and then another one in, by the end of the week. And we've also embarked on an exciting new journey here at RFN as Hanu and Artem are joined by new signing Connor Duffy in launching the all-new RFN YouTube channel. Now, we've got two videos live so far on the World Cup and Hull. So watch it, subscribe if you haven't yet. And Connor's also creating some fancy new clothes for the pod too and, and some new pod thumbnail graphics. So if you let us know what you think of the artwork. And lastly, I ask that you all catch up on my own recent article in which I attempted to try and pass out some of the issues plaguing the nation's football and offer up a kind of an idea for a blueprint for change. So if you let me let me know your thoughts at Russ Football News on Twitter or RussianFootballNews1 at gmail.com via email. Also get in touch to let us know who you would actually have had in, in your own team in the autumn. And we could read out some of the best next week. So David, where can everyone find you online? And is there anything new in the pipeline for yourself? Um, you can find me uh, on Twitter at RFN underscore David. Um, as you already mentioned, the Feniel series that's coming out. So there's uh, two more to go and then a little scouting piece on, on a few players who RPL clubs you could be looking at. Um, and then I'll be back in the Scouted Football Handbook uh, whenever that's released, I think next month, uh, covering a player who we did discuss today. I won't, I'm probably not at liberty to reveal yet, but we did mention him today. So, um, so yeah, keep an eye out for that one. And Richard, how about yourself? You can find me on Twitter at, at @richdpike89 at @richdpike89. You can also check out um, on Heart of Football over Christmas New Year. Um, I on our site Heart of Football, I've I produced five Football Manager 21 teams to be guides. There was a number of Russian RPL teams in there and some other famous names across the five guides. So please do check that out. Um, there'll be a, another article for myself on RFN soon coming up about winter transfers. Um, I recently did a piece of youngsters to watch for RFN and on, for, in the RPL in 2021 for RFN, and also a piece on uh, Alexander Kokorin's move to um, Fiorentina from Spartak. And finally, there'll be more pieces from, by myself coming out on Heart to Football soon across the beginning of April. So um, please do check those out.
This has been the RFN Podcast. Goodbye for now. Его беги, точнее его удар, но мяч берет ноги решительный вратарь. Не напрасно футбольное поле самых ловких и смелых плечок. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, быстрота, увлечение, расчет.